need of Jesus in order to impact our community and the world around us for Christ. Did I get it right, Amy? I hope so. So glad you guys are here this morning. Glad you could be a part of our worship service. If, I, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Brian Legg, and I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team. So glad, again, that you could just be here and be part of worship. For the last several weeks, we've been walking through this series in Joshua, and we've been taking time to explore the stories about the nation of Israel walking into the promised land, the vision that God had put before them. And we see Joshua leading that charge. And then we've been taking time to look at how that really impacts our own journey as a church, the vision that God has put before us, the call that he's placed before us, and how we're walking into that vision as well. And I I hope that it's been refreshing to you guys the same way it has been to us as we've been studying and walking through this. I think one of the things that's been really cool to me is just being reminded of how faithful God is. No matter what our circumstances, no matter what obstacles we come up against, God is faithful. And we've seen that over and over and over. So as we dive in this morning, I want to take some time to just kind of step back. We've been looking at a lot of specific stories in Joshua, and believe it or not, we've only covered six chapters in reality, seven, Um, but we've been looking at all these stories that have happened in Joshua, and I want to step back and look at the whole big picture of the story for a moment, just kind of from a 50,000-foot view. See, if you go back to Deuteronomy, which is the book right before Joshua, in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, you see this encounter between Moses and Joshua and the people of Israel where Moses is passing the torch of his leadership. And he's preparing them that Joshua is going to take over. He's going to lead them into the promised land. And God speaks through Moses to remind all the people of Israel about the promises that he's given to them. He tells them about the promised land, how he'll go before them, that he will fight their battles for them, that they will have victory because he will go and fight for them. And he he lays all of that out and paints this beautiful picture. And then you see in all the stories that we've explored over the last several weeks how that begins to unfold. And you see really what, what Moses has prophesied begin to come to fruition with the people of Israel. And then last week, that, again, that was just in chapters 1 through 6. Then last week we get into chapter 7, and we see for the first time that Israel has a failure. They go up against Ai, and they, they fail in battle. They're, they're just literally romped in battle. And they come back, and they realize that it's because Achan, one of the Israelites, has, is living in disobedience. He's living in sin at the time. He has done something that God asked him not to do. God said, Jericho is mine. I'm going to win the battle for you. I'm going to win the victory, but you give all the spoils to me. And instead, Achan takes some and hides it in his tent. We walked through that whole story last week, and so then they had to confront him with his sin. Well, then chapters 8 through 22, so a good portion of the rest of Joshua, you see that they conquer all these other kings and cities, and there's really not even a lot of information. It's more of a listing of, here are the other kings and cities that they've conquered. And then it goes through this detailed explanation about how they divided the land. And so this portion of land went to this tribe, and this portion of land went to this tribe, and they show you the distribution of all that. And that's all really cool, but I'm going to skip across all of it. And I want to go to the last two chapters of Joshua this morning, and again, look at the big picture of the story, chapters 23 and 24. And at the very beginning of Joshua 23, it says this, The years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Take that in for a minute. The years passed. This didn't happen overnight. It wasn't something that was immediate, even though we read it in just a few chapters and we see all the things that have happened. This has been a long journey that Israel's walked on. It's been a long process for them to conquer the promised land. The story's not even over. They haven't conquered all the promised land at this point, but they've conquered a good portion of it. But it's like there's a pause in the story right here. This moment of rest, a moment to reflect on all that God has done and all that he's going to do. And they just take a moment and rest in that. And then, very much like Moses did at the end of Deuteronomy, Joshua 
realizes that his time on earth is coming to a close. So enough years have passed that Joshua is no longer a young man, a young leader. He's now an old man, and he's realizing it's about time for me to die. And so he gathers Israel together, and he wants to share with them. He wants to talk to them and make sure that they are ready for the next piece of their journey. And so the first thing he does in chapters 23, we see that he calls together all the leadership of Israel. It's all the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officers. And then he spends the rest of chapter 23 talking to them about two main ideas. And those ideas are this, God's faithfulness and Israel's responsibility. So it's kind of like a call and response. God's faithfulness, everything he's done and promised to do, and what you're supposed to do. Israel's responsibility within that. And these ideas are obviously very important to Joshua because he repeats the same thing three different times, three different ways throughout chapter 23. Verses 3 through 8, you see how he recounts everything that God has done and what he's promised is yet to come, like we just said. And then he challenges the leaders to follow the book of instruction exactly as Moses had written it. In fact, you see the same words here at the beginning of chapter 23 that we started this whole series with in chapter 1, where he says, don't deviate from the words of Moses' instructions. Don't deviate from God's law. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Don't walk away from it, but follow everything he said. And Joshua's basically saying, God's holding up his end of the promise. Now you do the same. Walk in obedience so that you can receive his blessing. Then he goes on, verses 9 through 13, and he reiterates how God has driven out all their enemies before them. He's gone before them and given them great victory. But then he also reminds them of this. If you allow your love to be contaminated by the culture around you, if you take in their idols and their belief systems and the things that they bring to the table, you will no longer be walking in God's blessing and you will face hard times and ultimate destruction. And then he has a final plea, verses 14 through 16. And he really kind of throws in a trump card here. He starts with, I'm about to die. Basically, this is important. Listen and hear me. Don't take this lightly. I need you to hear what I'm trying to say to you. This is my last plea to you. And I want us to read this together, starting in verse 14, Joshua 23, 14 through 16. So soon I will die, going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. But as surely as the Lord your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. Same thing he says three different times, three different complementary perspectives. God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful now walk in obedience so you can experience that blessing. But here's what stands out to me, especially in these last few verses that you read. Israel's biggest obstacle, their biggest danger, the biggest thing that they're going to have to overcome is not military opposition. It's not the other cities that they'll have to conquer. It's not the other kings that they'll have to face. It's none of the physical enemies that they will have to come up against. But instead, the greatest danger is their own hearts. It's the moral and spiritual battle that they will face. Their greatest obstacle is not military, it's their heart. It's the obstacle of their own obedience to God's instruction. They have to choose whether they're going to be faithful to God and guard their hearts against all the many idols that surround them. And here's why it's so important to me. Because this is where it connects for you and I. 
I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I read these stories and I read about Israel going into the promised land and they're conquering all these cities and they're conquering these kings and they're fighting these battles and you see God show up in amazing ways and, and that's all really cool and I love to read that and I love to see how God shows up, but it's not the same for you and me. I mean, God's not asking us to go out and kill our neighbor and take their house, right? If he is asking you that, please talk to me after service because we have deeper problems. But the battle for us is the same as the battle for the Israelites. It's a battle of heart. It's a battle of the soul. Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to walk in faithfulness the same as God is faithful to us? Because while they might have been fighting a physical battle to go in and take the promised land, we're fighting a spiritual battle all around us. And God has called us to go into our community and to impact them in a huge way, to share the gospel with them around us. At our core, our battles are absolutely no different than that of the Israelites. It all comes back to our hearts and our choice of whether we will walk in obedience to God's plan or we'll try to do it our own way. See, when Israel was walking in obedience, God fought for them. He went before them. He fought the battle. He won the victories. Part of the time, they didn't even have to fight. You see the story of Jericho that we read a couple weeks ago where literally the Israelites just walk around the city. They just follow his instructions, and God conquers the city. He knocks the walls down so that they can enter. But we also saw clearly last week how when sin enters the camp and when they walk in disobedience, what happens? Destruction. They lost the battle. They went up against Ai, who they should have been able to rout easily. And instead, they were sent running for their lives because there was sin in the camp. There was disobedience. And it was one person's sin. One person's sin who caused the nation of Israel to fall in that battle. One person's sin. See, it's the same with us. When we're walking in obedience, we experience God's blessing. And don't let that get confused with getting your way. Because sometimes we say, well, God's blessing, and that means, well, I got the things I wanted. That's not necessarily the case. God's blessing means that his way is being promoted all around us and his will is being done. And it will begin to line up with our hearts, but it doesn't always mean that we just get the things we want. But when we're walking in obedience, we experience God's blessing and he's going before us and fighting for us. But when we're disobedient, when we have unrepentant sin in our life, then we are separated from God and his blessing because he is a just God and he cannot look upon sin. See, that's why we need Jesus. We need a Savior who can cover the cost of our sin. And when we come to Christ, God no longer sees our sin. He only sees Jesus and his righteousness and his perfect sacrifice that he gave for you and I. It's a covenant relationship that we walk in with God. And see, covenant's one of those things we've, we've talked about a lot at different times here, but I don't know that we always grasp the idea of covenant. Covenant is the most binding relationship that you can possibly enter. We think about it a lot like a contract, but it's a lot more serious than just your typical contract. It's designed to last for a lifetime. Throughout the Old Testament, every time you see somebody enter into covenant, there's a cutting of the covenant. In other words, there would be bloodshed. There was an animal that was sacrificed. Most often, it was either cut into pieces and offered, or it was cut in halves, and they would walk through it. And I know some of you are going, ooh, that's gross, but... That was the sacrifice that had to happen to show the relationship because it was painting a picture of how serious this covenant agreement was. It was basically a life or death kind of thing where you were saying, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, I will die. That's the consequences of me not following through with this relationship. See, a covenant usually had six very specific components, but I'm going to simplify it for you this morning, and this is in your note sheet if you want to follow through a covenant can be summed up in three fairly simple concepts. I'm going to break it down to three for you. First is a blessing. 
And basically, this is the person entering into the agreement that says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I bring to the table in this agreement. Then you have the conditions of the blessing, and the conditions of the blessing are basically what you're going to do. If I'm entering into covenant with you, I've laid out what I'm going to do, what my part is. The conditions are what you're going to do. So this is your part in response in this agreement. And then the third simple part is the curse. And it'll come up eventually, maybe. There we go. The curse. And the curse is what would happen if the covenant was broken. And this really is the reason that you have the sacrifice involved in the covenant because it's painting a picture of what's going to happen to you if you don't follow through with this covenant agreement because it's that important. And we see a great picture of covenant painted in Joshua 24, but incidentally, you know one of the best covenants that you and I know, but we often probably don't even think about the fact it's covenant? It's marriage. Why do you think our vows say, till death do us part? It's because it's a covenant relationship where we are committing our entire lifetime to that person and to God. It's a covenant relationship between a man and woman and between God. It's a big, big deal. It's not just a contract we enter into lightly. But we see this picture unfold in Joshua 24 of covenant again. See, after meeting with the leaders in in chapter 23, Joshua then brings the entire nation of Israel together. And this is kind of his last hurrah with them where he's going to share the vision that God's put before them and remind them of their responsibilities. Now he's told all the leaders, let's tell everyone. And he gathers the whole nation at Shechem. And if you don't recognize the name of this location, Shechem is a very important place to our history. Because you go back and you look at the story and how it unfolded. Shechem is a place where Abraham first received the promise from God and walked into covenant relationship with God, promising Canaan, or the promised land. So this is where we see the Abrahamic covenant come about, where the, two, the animals are cut in half and put to the side, and Abraham falls asleep, and God passes through the animals. It's a big, big deal. This is the beginning of covenant relationship. This happens at Shechem. A little later in the story, we see Jacob, who was renamed to Israel after wrestling with God. And Jacob is returning after he's been on the run from Esau where he stole Esau's blessing and he's returning to his homeland and he's returning to God and he stops in Shechem and he and his family purify themselves before they come back home and they bury all of their pagan idols. And basically you see two things happening. You see a physical return that's happening but you also see a spiritual return. They're getting rid of those idols. They're purifying themselves spiritually, coming back to God in this moment. Then after the story that we read last week about Achan, We read all through that in chapter 7 and the things that happened. In chapter 8, you see that after they've taken care of the situation with Achan, the Israelites go back and fight Ai again, and this time they're victorious. They beat Ai. And what does Joshua do? He gathers all the people of Shechem after that battle, and he reminds them again. He reads the entire book of instruction to them, reminds them of their responsibility and how they need to walk in obedience with God. And they celebrate that, and he sets up an altar there at Shechem to celebrate their victory and to remind the people of Israel... What happens when they are obedient? They walk in God's blessing, and they walk into his vision. And so now at the very end of Joshua's life, after they've gone on this conquest, and they've defeated king after king and city after city, they come back to Shechem. And this time, they're renewing the covenant with God that he's already put before them. And Joshua walks them through the covenant. He reminds them of God's blessing. He reminds them of God's promise of victory over every enemy in the promised land and that he would fight for them. And then he reminds them of the conditions that they have to walk in faithful obedience and follow all of God's instructions as written down by Moses. They must serve God with their whole heart. They have to get rid of all and any of the idols that are in their lives. And then he reminds them of the curse, the fact that disobedience 
will lead to their complete destruction. And they've already experienced this on their journey. So here at Shechem, where that first promise was given, the covenants renewed between God and Israel. And the people pledge their faithful obedience, and they commit that they will serve God with their whole heart. And I want you to read with me the end of that passage. This is chapter 24, starting with verse 23. And Vanessa, you might have to help me. Here we go. All right, then, Joshua said, Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Remember the thing about the stones being symbolic of our covenant relationship, being symbolic of the things that happen? We've got the stones across the stage. We talk about at the Jordan. They're often setting up a stone to remind them. Same thing here. And then Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Now the covenant in itself is a big, big deal. It's renewing of the covenant that has been pledged years and years and years before with Abraham, telling them that they will receive the promised land and that God will go before them and he will clear out the land and give it to them because it is theirs. But even more important, here's what I want you to see. This covenant was not between God and one man. It wasn't just God and Joshua. It wasn't just God and the the leaders of Israel, just a few people. This was a covenant that was renewed between God and the entire nation of Israel. Every single person. They were in complete unity at this time. All of the nation walking together into this covenant. They were responsible to fulfill this covenant together. And I'm going to be kind of blunt for a minute. We have a very warped view of what Christianity is in today's society. Because we have allowed culture and we have allowed our world to tell us that Christianity is this individualistic experience. Because everything in our world is individualistic. It's all about what I do, what I enjoy, what I'm going to get out of something. And we approach God so many times the same way. Well, that's my personal relationship with God. Yes, you have a personal relationship with God. But that relationship was designed to be done in community. It was designed to be enjoyed in community, together, walking together in unity with other brothers and sisters. We were not created to walk alone with God. We were created in His image, it tells us in Genesis. Well, what is God's image? God's image is community. It's the Holy Trinity, three yet one, walking in perfect communion and community together. We're in this together. We follow Christ in community. We're dependent upon one another. We hold individual responsibility just like the Israelites did, but we're also responsible to each other and for each other. This church family walks in God's blessings to the extent that this entire family is walking in obedience. Did you hear that? This church family walks in God's blessing to the extent that the entire family is walking in obedience. There's a reason we use the term family so much around here. Because it's a great picture of how following Christ works, what it should look like. In family, there are many benefits But there are also a lot of sacrifices and responsibilities. Many benefits, but also many sacrifices and responsibilities. Let me try to give you a couple practical examples. In my family, my kids have the benefit that Sherry and I provide for them. We're the parents. That's our job. 
We make sure that they have food to eat. We make sure they have clothes to wear. We make sure they have shelter, a safe place to live. We take care of those things. And parents, that's what they do. You meet the needs of your kids, right? But there's also sacrifices and responsibilities that go with that because my kids are teenagers. They're growing like crazy. They grow like six inches a week, I think. And so we're constantly buying new clothes, buying new shoes, trying to figure out how to keep shoes on their feet, you know, taking care of lots of grocery bills because they're eating more these days. And sometimes that means that Sherry and I are the last ones in the family to get a new pair of jeans or a new pair of tennis shoes or whatever the case may be because we're making sure that their needs are provided for. And that's not to make you feel sorry for us. That's just what parents do. We take care of our kids and make sure they're provided for, right? Another good example, my wife's a great cook. And she cooks amazing dinners a lot of times. And so we share those amazing dinners together. That's a benefit of family. But guess what? There's also responsibility that comes with that because when we're done with dinner, the pots and pans have to be cleaned up and washed. The kitchen has to be straightened up. Things have to be put away and taken care of. This is what family looks like. There's benefit, there's responsibility and sacrifice. There are fun moments and great experiences that we have with family. But there's also chores and hard decisions and rough obstacles that we come up against. That's family. Family is a picture of both blessing and responsibility. It's a covenant relationship. And when the covenant's broken, when any party doesn't do his or her part to make the family work, what happens? The family falls apart. There's destruction. There's pain. There's suffering. And church family is the same way. It's the exact same way. When we're all willing to fulfill our responsibilities and sacrifice for one another, it's amazing what God can accomplish through us and the blessings that we experience. They're huge. But the consequences are just as big when any one of us chooses not to walk in obedience. When we don't follow through, when we don't fulfill our responsibilities, when we don't take care of the things that we're supposed to do, when we're not willing to sacrifice In our TBA family class that we have periodically, we try to paint a picture of what family looks like and help people understand that as they come into our church. If you've never been a part of that class, I would encourage you to sign up and go through it. And I don't care if you've been here a year or 10 years or 20 years, if you've never been through that class, it'd be a good thing for you to walk through. And you can see Joni back here at Next Steps or sign up on your connection card. We'd love to get you plugged into that. But some of the practical examples that we walk people through of what it means to be family are things like faithful attendance on Sunday morning just showing up, being a part of services, giving faithfully according to a biblical pattern, plugging into a small group, serving in a ministry, living sent, living out the vision. The list just goes on and on, just simple little things that we do to be part of family. And the thing is, sometimes these things don't seem all that important in the big picture. But our faithfulness in the small things is what allows the big things to happen. Don't mishear that. Don't take it lightly. Our faithfulness in the small things is what allows the big things to happen. Kind of sounds like a biblical concept, doesn't it? Go home and Google it. I bet you'd find it a couple places. See, here's the thing. If you don't show up on Sunday mornings, it changes how church feels that morning. It changes the experience of worship that morning because this experience is not just about you and God. This experience is about us coming together as a church family. It's about us encouraging one another, celebrating and worshiping together, celebrating the things that God has done in our life through the week, praying together about the things that are coming up and the struggles that we're walking through and the difficulties. This is much bigger than you because you're part of something bigger than you. And it impacts the rest of the family when you're not here. It also impacts the rest of the family when you are here. 
in a positive light. When you're not faithful in your giving, guess what? We hit unnecessary roadblocks in accomplishing the vision as a church. There's things that we'd like to do that if every person that was a member of this church family was giving towards that, they would happen easily. But often instead we're going to plan B or plan C or adapting things to make it work because the funds just aren't there. It affects others. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. When you're not serving in a ministry, everybody in the family suffers. Right now there are lots of weeks that we struggle to have enough greeters or ushers or cafe workers or TBA kids workers. And probably most of you don't even know that. Because those teams rally so well and and they work together to be effective and efficient and and they pull it off to where it doesn't look like anybody's missing, missing, but in reality they are. And some of the ministries you look at right now, and the truth is they're kind of teetering between success and failure because they really need more people to rally around them and be family and walk with them. See, greeting is one of the easiest but most important jobs we have here. It's what helps new people to our family feel welcome, feel a part of things. It's as simple as shaking a hand and saying hello but it's critical. I know you guys, and especially on a day like today when the time has changed, you come in one Sunday morning and there's no coffee, you're going to cry, probably out loud. Oh, coffee, how do we do that? How do we function? Because I know you bring your coffee in here, you drink it just to keep you awake while I'm talking to you. I see it. But cafe sometimes struggles to have those people. In our TBA kids, when there's not enough people volunteering in that ministry, it's dangerous. We've got a lot of kids back there. It's not safe for our kids if we don't have enough volunteers, not to mention the things that they don't pick up and learn that day. It's critical that we have volunteers, and as a family, that is part of our sacrifice and responsibilities to make sure those things are taken care of. It's a big deal. Family has benefits and responsibilities, and it takes sacrifice and commitment to really experience the blessings and the benefits fully. Let me give you another practical example as best I can. This fall, we're going to be walking through experiencing God together. And you should have heard bits and pieces about this by now. We've been starting to share some things. This past Tuesday, you should have gotten an email that gave you a little bit more information about what to expect and what's coming. And I know a lot of people still have some questions, and there's lots of information yet to come. So don't panic if you don't know what it is or don't understand it yet. If you didn't get the email Tuesday, you need to write your email down on your connection card for us or go check your junk folder and make sure you're getting our emails because you should have all received that. But let me tell you a little bit about it. Experiencing God is a 13-week study that we're going to walk through this fall, and it does exactly what the title suggests. It helps you to experience God, to experience who He is, to learn about where He's working, how He's moving, what He's doing, and how we can plug into that and be a part of that as a church family. It's painting a picture of how we walk in relationship with Him, how that impacts our lives, both individually and as a church family. But I'm going to tell you, this is not going to be an easy journey for our church. Experiencing God takes a high commitment. It's going to require approximately 30 minutes of homework every single day leading into a weekly meeting where we discuss the things we've been reading and studying and walking through together. There'll be a teaching time that we'll walk through with that and then we'll have discussion with others. We'll be doing this in our small groups as well as have some large group meetings here at the church. So there'll be plenty of opportunity to play into it, but you know what it means? It means a lot of you are going to have to make some significant adjustments to your personal calendars in order to make this a priority and to allow it to happen. Because you probably don't have time in your schedule right now for 30 minutes of homework every day to add into it. You probably don't have time for another group meeting to come and be a part of, but it's important. And I can assure you that it'll be worth it. This is a great example of how sacrifice and obedience will result in amazing blessing. And I would encourage you, ask around. 
Talk to people who have done experiencing God before. Find somebody who's done it. Ask them how it impacted them, how they walked away from it, what kind of change they experienced. Because I've not talked to a single person yet who's gone through experiencing God who doesn't tell you that it was literally life-changing for them and how they see God and how they walk with God and their development and growth as a Christian. We're setting the bar high for this. We want to see our entire church family go through experiencing God and walk through this together. And we truly believe that this is going to be one of the keys to unlock our potential as a church family and allow us to walk into God's vision for us. But the truth is this. Experiencing God will only have as much impact as what we invest in it. It will only have as much impact as what we invest. You don't do your homework, you're not going to get a lot out of it. You don't show up for group meetings, you're not going to get a lot out of it. You sign up for the class but don't show up, you're going to get nothing out of it. If only part of our church family walks through it, that part of our church family will experience that blessing and that new understanding but only that part. You're going to be hearing a lot more over weeks to come. We're going to have a Vision 15 at the end of this month to talk about experiencing God. At the end of April, we'll have two Vision 15s that are leading into a full month of sign-ups. So the month of May, we're going to have a table out in the lobby. You'll have an opportunity to go ahead and sign up. And I know it's not till fall. We're signing up way early, but we want you to plug in now and start adjusting your calendars and getting things set so that you're ready. There will be people there at the table that can answer your questions. You can go to Next Steps at any point and ask questions. We'd be happy to talk to you there. This is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that we've even cleared some things from our our calendar as a church this fall so that we can make sure that this happens. There will be some things that we still will do that we don't think is going to take away from experiencing God, but there's some things that we've cleared out of our calendar because of it. And one of them is going to be a big deal for some of you. We're not going to do our annual Halloween party this year. And some of you just went, (gasps) we've done that every year since we've been TBA. And it's been a really big deal. And there are a lot of things that play into it, even more than just experiencing God. But through a lot of prayer and discussion and contemplation within our staff and then within the the Halloween leadership team, we decided we're going to do something different this year. And instead of doing the Halloween party and inviting our neighborhood in, inviting the community to come to us, we're going to go to the community. We're going to shut service down one Sunday morning, and we're going to send all of our small groups out to serve in practical ways in the community so that we can truly live sent and be the hands and feet of Jesus and carry that to the community around us. And we're not going to do it in the fall specifically because of experiencing God, so sometime after the first of the year you'll be hearing more about that and we'll be setting it up and getting ready to do that. But I would encourage you to be praying with us about that. Be praying with us about how God is going to use experiencing God and the things that will come out of that and what it's going to do for our church family. Pray that lives will be changed and people will come to know Christ because of our actions in doing that study and in carrying the gospel into the world around us. Keep watching for details, listening for more information because it will be coming your way. You'll probably get tired of hearing about this. Monthly emails, countdown in our regular weekly email, you're going to be getting thing after thing after thing with information about experiencing God. Now here's how I want to wrap up this morning. We've talked quite a bit this morning about covenant, what covenant relationship looks like. But see, covenant's not just an Old Testament idea. It's something that applies to you and I today as well. And I told you about marriage covenant. We, we kind of understand that, although I would say most of us don't grasp how, how important that really is or the significance of that. But there's one other covenant I want to talk about specifically this morning, and that's the blood covenant or the new covenant. And it's what I want us to ponder as we close our time of worship together this morning. 
Jeremiah, the prophet from the Old Testament, referred to this covenant hundreds of years, centuries before it took place. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31, he said this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Now this covenant that Jeremiah speaks about was not realized until centuries later when Jesus was standing in the upper room with his disciples and he was was leading them through that Passover, through that Seder meal. And he came to the part where they take the cup and they take the bread. And he said, this, this cup is a sign of my new covenant. It is a symbol of my blood being poured out for you as a perfect sacrifice. He offered himself up as a sacrificial lamb in that moment. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And he shed his own blood in order to seal that covenant rather than sacrificing an animal. So you've come from hundreds, even thousands of years of tradition and understanding of covenant where they would cut an animal, where they would sacrifice an animal and pour out blood. And this time Jesus stands before them and he says, I'm the animal that's being sacrificed for you. I'm that perfect lamb. And it changes the nature of covenant completely. Because under the old covenant, sacrifices were temporary and the covenant had to be renewed. But we see, and we see that in the story of Joshua. That's what they're doing, they're renewing covenant. But then Hebrews reminds us that this was an eternal covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. These are the same words that we just read in Jeremiah. The covenant that he prophesied hundreds of years before was fulfilled in this moment. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can have right standing before God. The terms of the covenant say that our penalty for disobedience is death. No questions asked. And guess what? Every one of us has broken the covenant. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short. Romans tells us that. But Jesus came and gave his life and shed his own blood and allowed his own body to be tortured and beaten and sacrificed and broken for you and I. He took our place. He took our penalty so that we could have right standing with God. Because Jesus sacrificed his own life, we no longer stand condemned. If we simply confess our sins and commit to follow Christ, we stand as holy and righteous and blameless in God's sight. He no longer looks at our sin but he looks at Jesus' righteousness when he looks at us. And we're reminded of this covenant, the sign of this covenant, is communion that we receive. 
Every time we receive the elements, every time we break the bread, symbolic of Christ's body that was broken for us, and every time we take the wine and we drink of that, we're reminded of his blood that was poured out for us, of the sacrifice that he made for you and I. And we remember the covenant relationship that we walk in with God. So we're going to receive communion in just a moment as our response this morning. But as we do, I want, you, I want to ask you to ponder one thing today. Are you living worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you? We've heard this theme throughout. We saw it in the book of Joshua. We saw it throughout there. We've seen it in the covenant that he's renewed. We see it in communion as well. Are we living worthy of the sacrifice? God has been faithful every step of the way to the point of dying on the cross for you and I and giving his own life, paying the price for our sin. He's been faithful. What are we going to do with that? Because we have a responsibility to walk in obedience. But I even hate using that term, responsibility, because in reality, it should be a reaction and a response of love because of God's amazing love for us, because of everything he poured out for us, because of everything he's done for us. It should be a natural response of love that we are obedient and are faithful to him and walk with him hand in hand. Are you living worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you? Are you living in obedience to what God asks of you? See, none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. We're all broken. But here's the line. There's a big difference in walking through life with unrepentant sin and just continuing to do the same thing over and over compared to turning to God and committing it to Him and walking towards Him and allowing Him to work on us and change those things in our heart. So where do you sit this morning? Which of those symbolize you? After I pray, the band's going to play a song, and I'm going to invite you to come up and receive communion. We're, we're just doing it real simple this morning. We have three stations here along the front, and Tommy's going to come and uncover cover those for us and get them ready. But as you come and receive communion this morning, we're going to, it, it's a method that has a nice big spiritual word called intention, but it's as simple as you take the cracker and you dip it in the cup of juice, and then you'll receive the cracker. And I'll ask that you not drink out of the cups because I listened to all you coughing and sneezing this morning, and I know all the germs running around here. So just take the cracker and dip that in the cup and then receive the elements. But as you do that this morning, I want you to remember the significance of that. Remember the covenant relationship that we're walking in because of what God has done for us. He gave everything. He laid out the conditions and told us that we needed to be obedient, but he knew we wouldn't be obedient. And so he paid the price. He took the curse upon himself so that we didn't have to take the curse. This is all about him, not about us. All we have to do is commit to walk in faithful obedience. And even that, he's allowing us to do and helping us to do. Because we're not good enough. We can't do it on our own. So this morning, take as much time as you need to prepare your heart. Maybe you need to take some time to just kind of renew that covenant in your own heart with God. Maybe you need to take a moment to ask yourself that question. Am I living worthy of the sacrifice he made for me? And if you're not, take time to make sure that's right. We'd love to talk to you at Next Steps. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be back there with Joni and some others. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never even come to Christ in the first place. You don't, maybe you don't even understand what that means or what it looks like to walk in relationship or to enter into this covenant relationship I'm talking about. 
I'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you take those steps towards that. We have resources we can give you. We'll talk with you. We'll walk on the journey with you. But take time this morning to make sure your heart's good and you're in the right place as you come and you receive these elements and you're reminded of that covenant. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to just to come into your house and to worship you and to, to do life together. God, to be in community as you've created us, to walk with our brothers and sisters, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to pray for one another, to, to be able to celebrate together the amazing things that you're doing. And God, I thank you for these amazing stories that we've explored over the last several weeks that you have shown us your faithfulness over and over and over to your people, how you went before them and you won the victories for them and you fought for them. And God, you've promised to do the exact same thing for us, to go before us and to fight for us. And all you ask from us is that we are obedient, that we are faithful to you, that we give you our heart and we follow after you. And even in that, you walk beside us, you lead us, you guide us, you give us direction. And it is your strength that allows us to be obedient. None of this depends on me. Thank God. So God, in this moment, help us to simply stand before you with open hearts to allow you to point out anything in us that might offend you. Help us to take that time like Jacob did as he was traveling back to, to stop a Shechem and to purify ourselves and to prepare our hearts so that we can come and receive the elements and experience and remember your blessing yet again. Thank you for this reminder that you give to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. May we honor you in the way we live. It's in your name we pray. Amen.